Hello, this is David Gibson. I'm still at ESA and I'm interviewing now um, Frida Piper. Um, and she's an associate editor for the journal and we're going to talk a little bit about, about the meeting and, and some of her research. So uh, Frida, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, David. Yeah, I'm very glad to, to be here. Good. And you've come quite a way. Quite a long way. Yes, yes, from southern Chile, from Patagonia mm -hmm. specifically. Yeah, a very long trip. Thank you. And is this the first time you've been to an ESA meeting? No, it's actually the third time. Yeah, oh. it, the first wa was in 2012 here, then in 2014 in Sacramento, mm -hmm. and well, now this is. Yeah. Uh, so how are you finding this particular meeting? Is it going well? I'm fine. Very, very exciting. Very inspiring for 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 me, for us in in southern Chile, which is a very remote place. Also in terms of community of the scientific community, it's very, very important and inspiring to be here. To, to interact with the, with the most recognized uh, and prestigious ecologists and, and to see what, what people is doing mm. and yeah. what's so the main interest. The theme of the meeting this year is, is linking biodiversity, material cycling and ecosystem services in a changing world. Mm -hmm. um, is that a theme that you think resonates well for ecologists? I think that the, the theme is, is uh, absolutely relevant for ecologists, but um, I haven't uh, attended many talks that uh, I consider successful in terms of, of the integration of these uh, three keywords. The three things together, you mean? The three mm -hmm. things together. I think that's very challenging. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah, so most of the talks that I attended uh, were from physiology, mm -hmm. yeah. And so do any of those physiology talks hit upon any of these, these different components? Uh, well, I think that most of them were related to a changing world. So there is a very, um, I could say, concern about how a changing world will affect plants uh, and biodiversity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, my impression was that uh, the, uh, even when 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 most of the talks were great in terms of uh, the methods and the questions, I missed a bit of the ecological context. Mm, okay, all right. Yeah, I, I think that very few talks had that ecological context and that is pretty this in, in pretty consistent with with the main problem that you see in papers that are submitted to journal of ecology mm -hmm. most of them have very great results and good questions but the 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 con the ecological framework is usually weak or not very very well organized in in many papers of mm -hmm. course there are very nice exceptions so is that something that, uh, well, it sounds like it's something that uh, we as ecologists need to work hard on to, to put our work into that sort of context? At then. least, I think at least in the, in the field of physiology or ecophysiology, I think we should, we should go beyond the simple uh, question or, uh, uh, about effects of climate change. Mm -hmm. I need to, to integrate that with, uh, with ecological theory. Mm -hmm. and, and will, if we can do that, will that help us um, 
transmit our message better to the politicians and to the public and, and people like that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so, um, and so you've been seeing some physiology talks, and I think you said earlier you, you saw a talk by Hans Lambers. Yeah, yeah. That was a good talk? Yes, yes. Yeah, Hans, Hans is great. Yeah. <laughs> what was he talking about? Well, Hans is studying uh, cluster roots, in, especially in, in the, in the Proteaceae family, um, a plant family endemic of the southern hemisphere that uh, has the speciation uh, diversity, the, the diversity center is in Australia, but in southern South America we have six species of this family, of the mm -hmm. Proteaceae. Uh, and so it's it's very interesting to hear his hypothesis about the uh, root adaptations, special root adaptations of these plant families that are uh, very reasonable for the all soils uh, uh, of Australia, but not very. Uh, reasonable for the young volcanic soils oh. of the southern Andes. So your soils southern, are younger, the yeah. soils are younger. Mm. The nutrient composition is is quite different. So most of the relationships that has found hands between uh, the formation of cluster roots, this root adaptation in Proteaceae, have been related to the low phosphorus availability. And uh, in southern Chile, it seems that that relationship is not so clear. Well, interesting, yes. So, okay, so let's move on for a little bit and talk about some of your research. Yes. Uh, very generally, what sort of research do you do? Well, my research, which was in part presented last Monday here mm -hmm. in the ESA yes. meeting, is about the carbon and nutrient allocation strategies in winter deciduous and evergreen species. Yeah. So most of what we know about um, biogeography of evergreen and deciduous species in temperate regions is about conifers, evergreens, mm -hmm. and angiosperms, deciduous. Mm -hmm. yeah? And most of what we know is about geographical segregation, because in the northern hemisphere that's the, the dominant pattern. Mm. However, in the southern hemisphere, in, in, in the southern Andes, we have a very frequent pattern is the coexistence, even of congeneric species of contrasting leaf habits, that they are happily coexistent together. Mm -hmm. So, uh, while most of the um, explanations so far point to point to to understand the geographical segregation, I think that uh, I'm I'm behind an explanation to understand the the coexistence. Yeah, okay. and mm -hmm. I, I think that so all ecologists have heard about this idea of nutrient conservation in evergreen species because they keep the leaves mm -hmm. and they, right. the nutrients mm -hmm. are there, yeah? But in, in southern South America, we, in the southern Andes, we have a deciduous species dominating on the poorest soils, yeah? Mm. And that's challenging. I think that at, at least down there, 
we should look at the dif different strategies, not, not different requirements. I think they may be uh, needing more or less the same amount of nutrients, but the strategy of how they recycle, how they store, is different. Mm -hmm. Yes. So you have a paper that was is in Journal of Ecology very recently this year yes. with uh, Alex uh, Fajardo. Fajardo, yeah. Okay. And it was titled An Assessment of Carbon and Nutrient Limitations in the Formation of the Southern Andes Tree Lines. Yes. Can you tell us something about that? Yes. For many years, um, researchers have been trying to understand the causes of the tree line formation. Yeah, this is right. the, upper, the, the upper limit of the tree distribution um, in an altitudinal gradient. And uh, in most of the sites in the northern hemisphere and in the tropics, species forming the tree line are evergreens. Yeah, and uh, it is thought that that uh, nutrients are limiting at the tree line because the soils are poor and because the low temperatures also limit mm -hmm. the mineralization and the nutrient uptake by the roots. And that's why evergreens would do so well. Then. Yes, yes. According to that theory, yes. According, yeah. However, in, southern, in the southern Andes, the, there are one absolutely dominant species uh, along 20 degrees of southern latitude for, from 35 degrees to 55 degrees, and this is Notophagus pumilio, a winter disease species. It's one of the southern beaches. Yes, mm. yes. So one very nice paper, um, more or less recently, published in Ecology by Sullivan and, and co-workers and colleagues, sorry, in, in, in the northern hemisphere, in the boreal forests, mm -hmm. proposed that, that the, the, the limit could be, the tree line could be caused by nutrient limitations. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So we, we basically tested this hypothesis mm -hmm. in our system and we found in general that the, either in the soil and in the tissues, in the leaves and in the branches, there was no evidence of nutrient limitation. Yeah. However, we think that maybe the high um, concentration, because the seedless species have higher nutrient concentrations in the wood and in the leaves than evergreen species, and to, to maybe perhaps to, to get that nutrients is costly in terms of carbon, in terms of mm -hmm. exudation and root growth. So that, that it could be maybe an indirect relationship to nutrients in a system with a deciduous species. So as it gets further up, it gets colder, so the nutrients are less available, yes. and that's, that cost comes into play more, and they reach the point where they just can't grow any higher up. Yes, yes. Okay, that's interesting. Well, um, thank you very much for, for agreeing to this podcast and well, talking to you, us David. about the meeting and, and, and your research. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to say at this point? Oh, just that I would like to continue participating in the ESA meeting. I'm very thankful of the people that receive our, our science, accept our mm. uh, abstracts, and especially the people that attend our talks, even with our bad pronunciation oh, in the English. Pronunciations. <laughs> Absolutely fine. So again, thank you very thank much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.